Good morning and welcome to the Environmental Echo, PWGC's monthly podcast. I am Paul Boyce, President and CEO of PW Grocer and your host today. And again, we're always trying to bring our listeners some really interesting, exciting topics. And again, we've, we've got another one for you guys. We've got the great Islip Town Supervisor, Angie Carpenter, with us to talk about the state of the town of Islip and some of the environmental issues that they might be facing and challenges going forward. So we are excited to have her here. Before we get into our topics, as, as always, I like to let, let our listeners know that the best way to reach us is through our website, and that is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. If you guys have comments, questions, concerns, ideas, thoughts, topics, or guests, you want to be guests, reach out to us and we'll see if it's, uh, it jives with the show and we'll get you on here. You know, we're, we're interested in to hear from you. But, uh, you know, along with Angie, we've got uh, one of our own, Charlie Bartha, who is a senior vice president and leader of our business development group at PW Grocer. He's been with the firm for a few years now, uh, probably more than I realize. Yeah, going <laughs> we, on five years. We, yeah. we are glad, wow. glad to have him with Excellent. us as well. But uh, introducing our, our, our main guest, uh, Supervisor Carpenter, she's spent close to 30 years as an elected official serving in a variety of capacities. Uh, for example, she spent 12 years representing the 11th District uh, as a Suffolk County legislator. Following that, she was elected as Suffolk County Treasurer for 10 years, and she's been with the Town of Islip, uh, she's been the supervisor since 2015, where she's overseeing the efforts to encourage the use of town, the, the town-owned Islip MacArthur Airport, which, you know, that's uh, huge, and hopefully huge. We, get, we get more use out of that and more destinations for sure, right? Uh, as well as improving the environment and promoting a business-friendly reputation across the town. Uh, I'd, I'd like to add on a personal note, I did attend the, the Islip Business Breakfast uh, last month, which was well attended and Thank the you. food was excellent too okay. <laughs> as was Good your the speech you gave always encouraging um and charlie just so people know where he's coming from he not only was he a, he's a longtime engineer and professional engineer like myself but he has been in his formal life he was commissioner of public works for the suffolk county dpw and i want to welcome yep. uh supervisor carpenter and charlie bartha thanks guys for joining us today so with that let's get started uh, Supervisor Carpenter, there is a lot going on in the town of Islip, you know, whether it's uh, development projects down in Lake Bayshore, which uh, the TriTech, the, the developer going on there, uh, and efforts related to the Ronkonkoma hub, you know, that's another big thing that, which I believe has, uh, it's in part of the town of Islip as well, um, and promotion of MacArthur Airport, you know, as, as well as the redevelopment of the central Islip business district. You know, we could go on and on as oh, to what's going happening. on. But you know, how are, how's the town prioritizing these efforts? You know, what are you guys looking forward to getting done first? What's what's really high well, on your list? You know, projects seem to take their own way of prioritizing themselves. But, uh, you know, right now, Tritech, you're talking about uh, downtown Bayshore, a uh, real stellar, stellar example of transit-oriented development right across the street from the Bayshore Railroad Station, uh, bus route right in front, uh, half a block to the downtown area, two blocks to the ferry, it truly is TOD, and uh, that is very, very exciting. And uh, they're an incredible firm and uh, doing really, really good things. So uh, we're really happy about that. And you mentioned the airport, and uh, that's certainly um, an area of focus for me. And uh, I know your focus as a, as a company is the environment, and yeah. that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And really, when you think about the environment, we can make a case for the fact that people can help our environment by using our airport. It's closer. You know, there's no need to get in your car and use that gas that's going to take you to get to those two city airports when you could be right here in your own backyard. 
I was on a panel discussion the other morning at the HIA, and uh, one of the gentlemen said uh, he had just come in from uh, Florida and was on uh, flew in through Islip Airport. And when they were planning their trip, his eight-year-old said to him, are we going to the close airport? And uh, he was very happy to hear that they were using the close airport. <laughs> so not only are we uh, stress-free, uh, but we're close. And uh, people should try to remember that. It, it just blows my mind when, you know, I hear someone just got in from somewhere and I go, where did you fly? This morning I was at a meeting and uh, the gentleman said he had just come in from Florida. I said, oh, really? Did you fly into ISIL? He goes, no. You know. Such a I'm pleasure. Like, oh, using I just that can't. Airport. I can't it believe is. it. I can't believe it. But little by little, and uh, as I'm looking out the window, a plane just went by. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're right real by near the today. airport. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we're getting that message out there. We really are. You know, for the first time in a long time, we've got a professional commissioner who's been in the airline industry for years, run airports in the past. That wasn't always the case. And that's important. You've got to know the industry. And, uh, the dynamics of the airline industry now are ever changing, and uh, it's it's entirely different from the way it used to be. And trying to get new service in there, uh, airlines you just don't woo them and, and wind them and dine them. You've got to really give them data. You've got to be able to quantify how they're going to make money at your airport. That's basically what it's all about. Oh wow! I, I mean, certainly I, I know we've just added or the towns have added an, another airline over there. Uh, Bree- Breeze. Breeze, Breeze Airways, yeah. and uh, that's an interesting t- story, too, because the founder of Breeze is the co-founder of JetBlue. So when people hear that, there's v- no reason why you shouldn't expect this is going to be a serious, successful venture. And David Nealman does not do things that aren't successful. And he's committed to Breeze, and he's committed to having it be successful, and he's committed to Islip Airport, and we're really excited about that. And it didn't just happen overnight. This has been going on for about three or four years when they first reached out to us when they were in the talking stages of starting their airline, starting Breeze Airways, and rented hangar space from us at the airport. And we had to sign non-disclosure agreements, and no one knew about it. And I couldn't believe that we were able to keep it under wraps, which we were committed to. That's interesting. It doesn't yeah. happen here in, in this environment. Yeah, no. Especially when they started bringing their planes in because they did their proving uh, out of ISLIP. Uh, you know, the certification, everything happened, the training, uh, staff training and everything. So David says, you know, the birthplace of Breeze Airways is ISLIP MacArthur Airport in Hangar 1. Wow. So that's kind of cool. But what was so frustrating is that when they started flying, um, I almost felt like a mother bird, you know, when you let your kids go out and fly. Well, they were flying from other airports, not ours. And uh, it was a couple of months when they made the decision that Islip Airport would be their New York regional airport. So we're, we're thrilled about that. Uh, you know, David's a, a unique, charismatic kind of individual. We had him speak at uh, the LIDC uh, Suffolk dinner that we hosted in Islip, and uh, he was just absolutely spellbinding. People were very, very impressed. How do airlines determine where they want to do uh, direct flights? Uh, do they do polls or they monitor? Well, again, it's it's the data that I spoke to that you've got to produce for them. When we were trying to um, lure them into using Islip as their New York airport. We reached out to the HIA 
and uh, Joe Campolo and his firm and the HIA Long Island did a survey out to their members and they turned it around quickly and we needed the information quickly. And there were over 500 respondents showing that had if there was more service, if there were more nonstop destinations, they would in fact increase their marketing, their travel budgets uh, and use Isla MacArthur Airport. So we were able to quantify what we knew anecdotally, but they need to see that. They need to see that. You know, in years past, you know, uh, airport commissioners and staffs would go to conferences all over the country and, you know, they'd be whining and dining people and, you know, decisions were made that way. It doesn't work that way any longer. And you had a, the town had to do that. It's not the airlines don't do that. No, the airlines don't do that. The airport and the airport is self-sufficient. The airport's been in the black since I got there and I'm very happy about that. No taxpayer dollars are going into that airport. It's funded through grants, through passenger fees. And uh, so we hired professional air service development company uh, to, you know, they, they know what the airlines want. They know what they need and are able to help us get that information to them. So is, is MacArthur Airport, is it close to maxed out in terms of capacity? Oh, heck no. So we've got a lot definitely more room not. to expand or we grow, We definitely huh? do, yeah. That's great. Where, uh, you know, at one point in time, there were like 46 flights a day going out of there. And now we're at we're at uh, pre-COVID capacity right now because in 19, we were doing about 22 flights a day, which is what we're doing now. But there certainly is room to get back to where we were and room to grow. Oh, wow. That, that, that's encouraging. Yeah, you know, yeah it really it, is. We, well, as, as you mentioned, the pandemic, it's hopefully we're maybe at the tail end of this or it's over and people are going to get back to you know, traveling again and having taken a vacation or or business travel and, it, you know, just having that right here in our backyard is just beyond convenient. It is. It is huge. Um, and I just feel like I'm compelled to just say this because of something I heard on the radio coming here this morning that, um, you know, the numbers are starting to go up again and we don't want to go back to where we were. And I think if people can just learn the habits, you know, just to be careful and, and, you know, wash your hands and all those things that we were yeah. doing, uh, you know, flu, uh, cases of flu, the, those two years were down dramatically because people were wearing masks. Yeah. They were not, you know, having that contact that they normally have. So um, as the numbers are eking up a little bit, you know, I would just urge everyone to still be careful. Uh, we've seen it in our office recently. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, people are at a birthday party and, you know, symptoms are mild now. A lot of people are vaccinated, but they're still... It's still out it's there. It's still happening. Yeah, exactly. Oh gosh, you know, hopefully sooner or later it will be gone, and it will be a thing of the of the past, and we can get get on with our lives. But you're right, we got to we got to be mindful and, and still you know take precautions. Yeah. But um, so with the town of Islip being a South Shore municipality, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I would imagine the health of the Great South Bay and 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 the rivers, you know, and all the interconnecting water bodies is a priority. You know, uh, what are you guys doing to promote the health of the bay? Well, you know, in the town of Islip, we are just leading the way with our shellfish hatchery. Uh, millions and millions of, of oyster seedlings are being released, and each oyster filters 50 gallons of water a day in the bay. So when you think about it, uh, and we have 125 acres that we lease to these oyster farmers, and we have uh, paperwork into the DEC, to expand our capacity, another 1,500 acres outside of uh, Heckscher Park 
in the Great South Bay, and we're probably at the final stages of that. So it's done with, a, you know, a lottery system. People apply, they're on a list, and uh, there's a, a demand for that. And it's, it's really quite exciting and quite interesting. Oh, wow. I, you mentioned the, uh, the the shellfish hatchery. My sister-in-law worked there a million years ago. Oh, right, wow. Right, That's towards, great. Right when she first got out of school. And so I am familiar with it. And she was, you know, talking to me about the baby clams and everything it's, it's else. Amazing. It, 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 it truly really is. It really is. So I'm glad you brought that up and uh, how the oysters, you know, uh, 50 gallons a day. It's so important that the town take that initiative and Mm -hmm. uh, you have to make that happen. And we're producing probably the lion's share for the state of New York uh, as far as the seedlings and everything goes. So uh, we're really very, very proud of that. So you produce the seedlings right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you guys get involved with like Chris Gobler and the Stony Brook folks at all? With yes, with they the do. Studies, you and, know, and there there are partnerships, and there are Commissioner Marty Blue is is just uh, so terrific. He really is a great guy, and we partner with Cornell and and Stony Brook, and you know, you can't do anything in a silo. You know, we have to work with one another. I think on every level, no matter what the issue is, I think we're coming to understand that we've got to approach things a little bit more globally and regionally, and uh, I think that's where firms like yours really are uh, very, very helpful in that endeavor. We can't do things alone. We've got a partner. No, no, you're right. And we, we enjoy partnering with the town to, to get things done. Um, one of one of the projects, which is sort of part of this, this discussion, is, uh, you know, uh, Browns River, right? Uh-huh. Dire need of dredging. Is the Army Corps involved, the DEC, there's the county. There's just a lot of different uh, agencies and municipalities how, how does how does all that work? How, how is it frustrating it's at times? Frustrating. You know, multi-jurisdictional you know oversight is challenging at the, the very least, and uh, this includes the federal government, et cetera. And for years, people have been crying to get the Browns River dredged, and the real problem was the spoils and the you know the dredged spoils and where do you put them? And uh, we again, Commissioner Ballou from our, our DEC commissioner. Uh, we wound up testing the spoils that were in a particular site, were able to move them to the landfill once they were declared safe to go into the landfill, and then it cleared up space for the spoils so that we had uh, a dredge spoil site so that we could proceed with what we needed to do for the dredging of the river. And um, Congressman Garbarino, Andrew Garbarino, was very, very helpful in getting us $3 million worth of funding to help in those efforts. So we're very grateful to him. He's yeah, been no, I, really a great Andrew's partner. A personal, I know him personally. Oh, he's great. a great guy. I've used him as my attorney on some stuff. He's, and now that he's a congressman, it's, it's just even better for, you know, not only town of Islip, but for the whole region. Oh, absolutely. And he gets it. He gets the fact that it's more than just his congressional district. And, you know, I think that's very, very important. And we're being a little challenged here in the town, but I think we're going to be okay because there was a lawsuit uh, directing us to have councilmatic districts rather than all the council people being elected at large and representing uh, the entire township. Now, as a result of that lawsuit and the settlement, the town of Islip was carved into four distinct councilmatic districts. So I've tried to keep reminding everyone that when you're making decisions, it can't, you can't be parochial. You can't just be worrying about your district like it was in the Soviet County legislature and is in the legislature. Um, you know, 
you have to be global. You have to look at things as a whole. And we are one town. We may have four districts, but we are one town. That's a, that's a very tough issue, you know, and having been on the administrative side of government, it was very frustrating with, uh, as you say, the county legislature, because a lot of legislators had a tendency just to be parochial, as you say. Well, in your case, coming before the legislature and, you know, Charlie and I were in the county together and that was how we got to to know one another. But coming before the legislature to get permission to hook up to the Southwest Sewer District for some of the businesses up in Huntington Mm -hmm. along the 110 corridor. You know, now I was a legislator, a South Shore legislator, and the South Shore legislators were very protective of the district and didn't want to allow others to mm-hmm. to to flow into the, the district. But I was always one that consistently supported that because I saw the big picture. Right. I think that's how you have to Absolutely. look at it. Yeah. Oh, boy. And you just, you, I don't know if you're looking at my notes nope, over here. not but at all. My next topic was, <laughs> you, you hit it, was it relates to the Southwest Sewer District. I mean... Um, you know, we're talking about the Great South Bay, but um, improving the water quality, it's, it also happens inland with sewers. You Absolutely. Know? Um, you know, so I, I know the county is looking at parts of Sable and Oakdale and others that are part of the town of Islip, but what's the town doing to help move those projects forward? Well, we work very closely with the county, um, Peter, um, over in DPW, who Scully. handles Scully, uh, who's been just really, really helpful. We just recently were able to cobble together quite a substantial amount of money for the hookup uh, for the sewers on Carlton Avenue. Oh, wow. We were very uh, successful in securing a $10 million grant through the New York State Economic Development, the DRI, the Downtown Revitalization Initiative, CI for, it's a, about a two-mile stretch from Suffolk Avenue to Smith. There's no sewer hookup for that little, and there was an, uh, an ability to connect uh, down the road a little piece. So I'm trying to convince the state to allow us to use some of that $10 million uh, for the sewer hookup. And they really were reticent to do that. They wanted it to basically be plowed into just helping businesses develop. And um, especially they wanted to see multi-use projects, mixed-use projects. And I'm like, you know, if you don't have sewers, you're not going to get the right kind of, of, hey, of hey, uses that you exactly. want. Oh. You know, <laughs> right now along that corridor, uh, and at the south end, it is absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful in Central Islip. You've got the two gorgeous courthouses. You've got the ballpark. Joel, you mm. worked on that. That's <laughs> that's awesome, right? 20 years <laughs> yeah. ago, and it looks brand new. Yeah. Two Just. incredible hotels there, a brand new soccer facility, a shopping center, um, and beautiful condo developments, apartments that if you haven't been there, you really have to see it. And, uh, but up in this little stretch of two miles, you've got like a muffler shop, an auto body, you know, things that you don't want in your downtown corridor. So I'm kind of envisioning, and this was my pitch to, to REDC that we want, this could be a destination. I could see all kinds of wonderful ethnic restaurants, kind of like, uh, Española way down in Miami where you've got a Caribbean and an Indian yeah. and an Italian yeah. and right. a Dominican no and, you know, it'd be so really, really cool, yeah. but you can't do Vibre. that if you don't have yeah. sewers, you know, right. you're not going to have a fine restaurant with paper plates. It doesn't and, work. And the town, uh, you took an initiative on a, uh, the name of the 
condominium project escapes me right now, but it's just north of Southern State Parkway, outside the boundaries of the Sioux District. Lexington Village. Lexington Village. Oh, my God. Yes. That was a very difficult one. I remember that from being at the county, and uh, And that's how far back it goes. And it's so ironic because I remember that when I was back at the county, and we're talking almost 30 years ago. 1993, I was first elected to the legislature, and one of the first issues I had to deal with was Lexington Village and this antiquated sewer treatment facility that just wasn't working and they want to condemn it. And these people were struggling as it was, you know, and I can remember meeting there in their little community room and you were probably there too, (laughs) trying to come up with a solution. And fast forward, I'm at the town and now all of a sudden they come in with a folder and we have to talk to you about Lexington Village. And I'm like, oh my God, you're kidding me. (laughs) But we were able to structure something to to help them out. So I was really glad about that. But I, I, I like your ideas, and, and back to the Sable and Oakdale corridor. You know, I, I used to live in Oakdale, and just it's not only the water quality issues, but it's the quantity. I mean, I, I could dig down in my front yard when I lived there, like two, three feet, and I was mm-hmm. into water already. There's just no place to put it. Well, you know, we do have a lot of issues with drainage and everything, and uh, we probably, for the first time in the history of the town, have actually put real money into our capital program for drainage projects. We've put money in for paving, uh, paving parking lots, things that, you know, we never really did before. Our paving budget has tripled, you know, and, uh, but that's important. It's, you know, we are the caretakers of the assets of the residents of this town. And if we don't take care of them, if we don't fix the roof on town hall, which we just did and fix the cupola, which was ready to you know, just blow away. collapse and blow <laughs> yeah. away, yeah. Um, you know, what good are we? You know, you, you really have a responsibility. So we take it seriously, and the town board's been very supportive, so I'm very grateful for that. I mean, but do you see, like, sewering, would it um, sort of revitalize, like, the Oakdale, that stretch over there where they have, like, you know, some shops and there's a theater Oh, absolutely. And stuff. I mean, it could get more, like, uh, you know, next door to the town of Islip, you got Brookhaven, you got Patchogue, which, mm-hmm. you know, they were fortunate enough to have sewers. So, I mean, you, you can see what... Yeah, it makes the difference. And I think people are, are finally coming to understand that. Uh, Sayville, the downtown's always been very, very successful and thriving. Yeah. But they need sewers. They do. They need and, sewers. And it's a balance. It's a struggle. Because, I mean, one of the things that justifies sewers, you have to deal with economically. Mm-hmm. You don't have huge grants. Unfortunately, there's some huge grants that are in place and more coming. But... Um, Communities often don't want to see zoning change. Oh to gosh, tell me about it. So it's a balance. <laughs> the planning <laughs> department met. <laughs> the planning department met last night and had a couple of contentious issues. And we had uh, a change of zone the other evening, um, and uh, it was a little contentious. But you know, I just ask people to trust us. You yeah. know, we've got all of the information. We have the traffic experts. We have you know, the environmental experts in place and, you know, are not just making decisions in a vacuum and really are trying to do the right thing. And one of the projects uh, is, it was in a bank building that's been vacant for eight to 10 years on the corner of Atlantic Avenue and Montauk Highway in West Sayville. And the developer uh, yes. originally wanted to put in a Seven Eleven gas station and, you know, uh, food market or whatever the heck. And, uh, and again, with the gas station, a 7-Eleven. And, uh, you know, I don't know that that would have been the best use. And then they came up with this idea of uh, a Starbucks. And uh, so initially... Starbucks with a drive-thru, right? With a drive-thru. Right. So that was making everybody panic. And uh, the initial proposal called for 10 
on the queue, and we've got them up to 27. So, you know, the property is big. And uh, I, I had a conversation with the developer, and I said, I want this to be the most gorgeous, you know, Starbucks there ever was, you know. Uh, but think about it, this abandoned building that's only going to bring graffiti and, and kids breaking in and, you know, God forbid, doing drugs or whatever. Uh, you know, you just have to have faith and know that, you know, it's, it's challenging sometimes. People don't want change but I don't think you want a derelict vacant building either. And uh, I think this is going to be good. And we've put some, you know, part of it, even though it's a Starbucks, it technically gets classified as fast food, so people panic, you know. It's not going to be a Taco Bell. And we did put covenants, very strongly worded covenants in there, that it can't be anything but a coffee shop uh, use. There's, there's ways to deal with these things. You have to be creative and strong enough to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, you kind of. One of the things that I, I see more clear now than ever before, because we deal with a number of developers on those type of projects, um, and it's not just the town, because you have state roads, you have county roads oh, gosh, run through yeah. the town, and people have different opinions about the effects. But you also, when you and you know that well, working with developers that you've got to engage the community because you don't want to have people feel like you're, you know, ramming things down their throat and that this isn't, you know, what they want, et cetera. You really have to engage the community oh, appropriately. Critical. You know, the classic example of a developer really doing the right thing in central Islip again on Carlton Avenue, the old New York tech property. Okay. Yep. Okay. That originally was central Islip psychiatric hospital then got turned over to New York Institute of Technology. So this property has been off the tax rolls for a lot of years. So a developer comes in, purchases 87 acres that are now on the tax rolls. Yippee hooray. And, uh, but the initial proposal was for a mixed use, some commercial, some industrial, retail, residential. So I, they came to us and I said, look, you've got to engage the community. When it's a big project, I want the developer to create a website so that people can go there, ask their questions, and get answers in real time, but real answers and not what somebody put on Facebook, you know. And uh, they did their due diligence and went out to the community and came back with an entirely different project. Uh, so the first phase of it is going to be uh, retail, uh, um, residential apartments they are reusing every single building. So when you talk about environmental sensitivity and, and really doing the right thing for the environment, you know, initially they were going to take down all those buildings, 13 buildings, and the community said, we like how it looks, you know, and so there's going to be a state fencing around it, and it's still going to have that park-like feeling oh. to it, campus kind of feeling. And all 13 buildings are going to be maintained. They're adding one building that's going to be like a community center with a swimming pool, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so think about it. All of the construction and demolition debris for 13 buildings being trucked out of there through the neighborhoods to, to the landfill or trucked off island, that's all going to be saved. So, I mean, that's then, a, a huge benefit, environmental yeah. win. Right. Wow. Yeah, something else that's uh, indirectly environmental, and we spoke with Mark Herbst from the Long Island Contractors Association about this yep. uh, at, a, at a podcast earlier. Um, 
the Oakdale merge. Oh gosh, yes. So I mean, <laughs> the environmental consequences of that traffic, all kinds of emissions. It's right? horrible. It's horrible. And I was, you know, encouraged to see that the governor made some reference to it. I know mm-hmm. I had some conversations with Kevin Law and some other people. You know, please, yeah. please, you know, we need to to address that. But something really funny the other day, somebody sent me uh, a little joke posting. Uh, supposedly it was Elon Musk who Twittered, I'm going to buy Long Island and fix the Oakdale merge. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll be happy to sit down and negotiate with him (laughs) if he's going to fix that merge. (laughs) But uh, that was kind of cute. Oh, that's good. Well, before we wrap up, we do have a couple of other topics. You know, one that's, uh, you know, again, goes back to the town being a surefront, you know, municipality um, and resiliency. You know, um, we have seen storms becoming more severe, more frequent, um, causing more damage, you know, on our existing infrastructure, on our existing fil- facilities. What is the town doing regarding, you know, flooding and rising sea levels? Well, we've, uh, you know, been very aggressive about uh, putting pumps in that, you know, will help take that water off. But, you know, sometimes I don't care. And, and, you know, when we get that prediction that a storm is coming, the crews are out there. They make sure all the drains are clear, that the pumps are all working so that it can take the water. But there are times that that water level, and you guys know better than I, that the water level is so high that I don't care how many pumps you got going, there's no place for the water to go. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere Mm -hmm. to pump it, you know, and you just have to wait for it. We had a situation on Maple Avenue in Bayshore where a storm came up rather quickly. It was a Sunday. People were at uh, the restaurant at the lake house having brunch and had to be evacuated with the high water fire trucks oh, gosh. because they couldn't get out, you know, and get to their vehicles. Yep. Yeah. I think I saw it on News 12, yeah. I remember, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there are some situations that all of the, you know, preparing and, and everything that planning that you put in place, sometimes you just can't avoid it. But we have been very cognizant of that and have really tried to address that. You guys have like a capital budget uh, line item for resiliency or, or how, how are you addressing it? Well, as I said, that we are actually having a line item for flood mitigation projects and so forth. And, uh, you know, talking about damages and everything, we have a, a sort of a rush resolution that was going to be on the agenda this Tuesday for repairing the dock over at uh, the marina in Atlantique. And it was so ironic because I got an email yesterday from some guy saying, well, I'm so glad you're, you're fixing the dock, but, you know, why didn't you do it in the winter? You know, now we want to come there with our boat and you're working on it. Well, unfortunately, you know, timing is such that, you know, it just came to, to be that it really needs to be addressed and addressed quickly. So we're doing it. And you reminded me there is part of the town of Islip is over on Far Island. Exactly. You know, our, well, you know, our entire southern border is on the water, either yeah. the bay or the ocean, you know, and we have that marina over there in Atlantic. You know, it's on the bay and the ocean, and uh, it's an incredible facility, 158 slips, but people live there year-round, and, you know, we've got to remember that and be cognizant of that and, and service their needs, too. And, and here's something that um, I read in the paper, and I, th- I think it was one of the, the, the board members or councilmen uh, they brought up bees and pollination, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's going to be when you're landscaping, a certain percent of your landscape has to be set aside that's bee friendly, because we're seeing this decline in, in honeybees mm-hmm. and all the other bees are the pollinators. Um, and, and I thought, wow, that, that was really somebody really thinking but forward. But you know, here. It, it's you know being open, and I think that's the beauty of town government and county government to a, a lesser extent. But you know, being there, right there with the people. I mean. Uh, 
Tom Santarelli is the, is the gentleman's name, had come to the town board a number of times and he brought the issue forward and, you know, Councilman Cochran worked with him. I worked with him and, uh, you know, we were happy to pro offer that legislation and have it passed unanimously. And if you're going to be putting trees in, so, you know, maybe you could think about putting ones that are more bee friendly. I mean, yeah, there's always like a landscape buffer or something Mm -hmm. that's got to go between business, you know, and residential type stuff or commercial and and, and residential. So I I see the opportunity for it. I, I thought it was, you know, it was the first I heard of it, and I thought it was an absolutely great idea. Yeah. No, it, it is terrific, and we're really excited, too, with the town. We have a new planning commissioner. Uh, the gentleman that was there before uh, decided to leave and retire, and uh, he was great, did a good job. Um, so we went out there, and we did a, a search, and uh, Ella Donegal is her name, and she's our new commissioner. She's been on the job about a week, but... The staff loves her, and she's very That's excited. I and met her yet. Yeah, we haven't yeah, met her yet. We yeah, look forward to working with yeah, her. Yeah, she's terrific, and she's from the private sector, which I think, in my mind, you know, gives her a little bit of an edge. You know, uh, understanding what it is to different to, perspective to work for sure. With the communities and yeah. the developers and uh, all the stakeholders, and not just be stuck in that uh, you know governmental kind of mindset. Yeah. But uh, we've got a great team in planning. Our site planners are great, and they're all excited about uh, the new commissioner. So it's kind of cool to watch. I had a commissioner's meeting yesterday and brought everybody in so they could meet her. And uh, her background is is very impressive, and she's involved in, you know, green technology and, you know, uh, has all those certifications and was an architect by training. So she's got a great eye for things and... uh, very involved in the uh, state and national planning commission uh, associations. So uh, it's a great package and we're really excited. Well, like we just said, we can't wait to meet her now. Yeah. That we yeah. know this, you know, she's new to the role and, uh, you know, we've got stuff going on in the town. So it'd be helpful to, you know, connect and see great. what's, what's up. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> but Terrific. the last topic or question, however you want to look at it, that I, that I had, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's a broad one, but you know, what does the future hold for the town? What's, what's the vision? Where are we going with the town of Islip? Uh, we are going forward. We are going forward, you know, full steam ahead. Uh, we're looking at every opportunity there is to make the town better. Uh, right now, one of the things I want to see happen, uh, I want to build a building there. You know, we just built a brand new animal shelter in CI. We had a shelter that was in place for probably close to 60 years that needless to say was, you know, crying to be replaced and uh, it was built during COVID. So we're very proud of that, that we're able to get something that huge accomplished. And again, Marty Blue, he did a great job there. Um, but we are just bursting at the seams. It just isn't enough space. And uh, we've got two houses on campus that were converted to be administrative offices. We've got the fire marshals in one building. And they are traditional, you know, Cape houses, but not really uh, a public friendly environment Mm. so i right now we've appropriated some money to do a a very effective planning study as to the viability of either keeping one or two of them uh upgrading them connecting them whatever or just removing them and building a new building and uh, we because of the size of the town we're able to get some direct arpa funding through the CARES Act, and uh, we have targeted some of that money to build this building. Oh. So that, I think, would be terribly exciting to have something that's, 
you know, uh, LEED certified, energy efficient, handicapped accessible, you know, really, really user friendly because our town hall is beautiful. It's historic. It's got a lot of tradition. But to see someone with a walker struggling up the steps or having to go around to the back of the building and walk a great distance to get to the entrance. And then when they get inside, they have to walk again to the other side because the elevator is opposite from and the elevator is small. It can't accommodate, you know, uh, one of those electronic wheelchairs. So, um, you know, we owe it. We really owe it to the public to, to do right. So I'm hoping we can get this done. Well, and to wrap up, you just, you did touch on some stuff in there like uh, energy efficiency and sort of sustainability, which is near near and dear to us, you know, whether it's wind, solar, geothermal, battery storage, or other alternative things. Is the town encouraging that? Or are you trying to implement that at your own facilities? We are. We've uh, installed uh, solar at our cap landfills and, uh, you know, trying to make it easier for people to get solar permits and encourage people to do that and and to just be as energy efficient uh, as we possibly can. And we owe it to the next generation. We really, really do. Couldn't agree with you more. We're all about the decarbonization, aren't we, Charlie? That's Get it. off the fossil it. fuels, you know, yeah. cleaner yeah. air to breathe. And we talked about the Oakdale merge and emissions, you know, cars just sitting there idling, basically. You know, there's a lot of ways we can correct this. So we're looking forward to it. Great. Looking forward to working with you. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up today, Supervisor Carpenter? Um, no, I just ask uh, everyone to uh, just be patient. You know, uh, everything... You know, everybody wants everything done right away. And uh, there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. And we ask you to be patient with us and uh, to understand that we really, really do care about the people that we serve. Great message. Charlie, anything you want to closing remarks? Just like to thank the supervisor for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure, Charlie. And and, uh, yes, uh, I will thank you both, uh, Supervisor Carpenter and Charlie Bartha. And just to wrap up, I want to thank our listeners and viewers for joining us on this very interesting podcast with Supervisor Carpenter from the town of Islip. Uh, This is the Environmental Echo, and I am Paul Boyce, your, uh, your host and CEO and president of PWGC. Again, lastly, to to reach us, as I mentioned earlier, the best way is our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And we look forward to hearing from you guys, and hopefully you'll enjoy tuning into some future podcasts with us. Thanks.